we're gonna walk down Pencil Lane Revenue and make our voices hear. Right on cue. <laughs> uh, hello and welcome to the second ever episode of the Stuff Meeting. Joined today by a special guest. Hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> Is this my cue? <laughs> our special guest, Toby. Welcome. Thanks Thank for, you for having me. It's nice to be joining you guys. The pleasure is is all ours, isn't it, Phil? Certainly, yes, definitely. Very exciting. Uh, let's get right to it, Toby. What uh, what do you get up to in your life? Loads of things. Um, lots of video gaming at the moment. Um, like to play a bit of music for fun. Um, and when I'm not doing all of that, I sort of do things wearing a dog collar sometimes, um, working for a church, um, leading parts of the church um, as a church minister, um, helping people to grow in their faith journey, you could say, leading and facilitating spiritual growth, leading worship, that sort of thing, which of course has changed loads over the last year. But in a, in a nutshell, that's me. Yeah, from a professional Fantastic. point of view. Thanks, Toby. Well, as uh, as we know, you're an avid listener of the podcast. Uh, you know that we kick off <laughs> we kick off every episode talking about uh, something we've changed our mind on. So uh, we're going to start, Phil, with uh, you and something that you've changed your mind on recently, I believe. Very recently, as in within the last twenty four hours, I've um, I've changed my stance on how I am. Um, I'm hoping to use social media. So, um, I mean, you obviously will know this, Ben. I don't know if you'll know this, Toby, but on Twitter for the last few years, I've really enjoyed being a bit of of a troll or troll, however you want to put it. I used to kind of go and find conversations, um, that didn't involve me, say things that I didn't really agree with or believe and then watch people get angry and then laugh about it at home. So, um, it's a bit childish, really. It should have, I should have changed my mind on this some months ago years ago but yesterday um Keir Starmer the leader of the Labour Party tweeted something about vaccinations and he put like a union jack all in red on the tweet so I said like so I said thinking I was being very funny oh the union jack is really problematic Sir Keir can you please take this down like um the implications of it are really damaging or something along those lines and um, I, within about five minutes, I had about six or seven people telling me, you know, to get lost, this, <laughs> that, you're an idiot, you know, all the rest. And I did have a good laugh. For about five minutes, I thought, this is funny. Like, I've, I've roped them. I've got them on the hook. But then I kind of thought, you know what? It's not the best perspective. It's not the best way of doing things, really. If I think that that perspective is silly and I'm being sarcastic about it, but not sarcastic enough for people to realise. I'm basically just winding up different versions of myself. <laughs> so, um, but I've changed my mind on that. I'm going to try and be a lot more obviously sarcastic uh, on social media. I'm going to try and be um, less divisive for my own humour and a bit more of a peacemaker. That's the idea anyway. But that's it. That's it. That's commendable. I mean, I've been told I'm a troll, goodness knows how many times, Phil. Um, so I can totally see where you're coming from. It's just the inability of others to read through the lines and see the dry humour, isn't it? Um, you know, so, no, but it is more difficult to gauge, isn't it, on social media. We have to sometimes not put our own fun above, you know, at the, at the expense of other people. Mm. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I imagine that a lot of... A lot of these uh, things we see from people on social media that we use as uh, an example of what other people believe, but it isn't actually what they believe. Like that's probably quite high. You see what I mean? Like you'll have a news story where so so and so said this, and actually it may well be that they didn't actually agree with what they said. They were just being funny. So yeah, it's very difficult to actually communicate well through that, isn't it? I think that's a good yeah. thing, Phil. Thanks. Good thing. Thanks. <laughs> well, thanks, Ben. I think 98% of my tweets have been me putting things across that I don't think, thinking it's funny. But then now I think that's really a helpful way of, I think especially at the moment when things are a little bit more kind of frustrating and people are on social media more, it's not helpful. But there we are. That's cool. I've changed my mind on. I've, how, about, um, how about you, Ben? I um, have recently changed the way I pron- pronounce a word. Um, 
I wonder how you how you do say it. Um, it's a small small nut that, which flavors marzipan. Is almonds. It? Yes. I used to say oh. almond. I used to say almonds. I recently changed to almonds. Why? <laughs> so I used. I thought there was no reason. I just thought there was no reason for it, and uh, I was reading the word calm. And I suddenly realized that the A-L-M there made the arm sound. And I thought, that's why people say almonds. And then I thought, almonds sound tastier than almonds. I'm going to say almonds from now on. It's like that thing, isn't it? Pre-mark or primark. Yeah, and I was thinking, actually, of how do you um, pronounce the, soup, the, the, um, the supermarket A-L-D-I? How do you pronounce that? I'm I an Aldi. Like where I think this is going. I'm I'm, yeah. an, I'm an Aldi guy myself. I'm Aldi too. What does anybody call it? Aldi? No, but I've heard people call it Aldi. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Like almonds, almonds. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my big change. Almonds. I'm starting to say it now. Sounds tastier, and that's the main reason why. I and feel you, like that's my word used a lot. Um. No. No. Not a lot, but enough to make a big decision about it. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Well, thank mm. you, Ben. That's a no problem. Little and big things people change their minds on, don't they? So, how uh, how about you, Toby? Is there anything that you have changed your mind on? Yes, and I know that we probably have exhausted how much we talk about coronavirus and pandemics and, and lockdowns and things. But I just had a very, um, quite a rapid change in my thinking and my approach to lockdown when we were going from Christmas. I think from like Christmas Day when we were allowed to mix a bit with people up and that period, you know, that period between Christmas day and new years, which if you've got a bit of time off, generally it's a nice time to catch up with people. People are off, people are kind of enjoying the holidays. And that was when, you know, tier four kind of came in everywhere, including where I live. And I just got really frustrated, like more frustrated than I don't think I've ever been about the fact that we were just being messed around rules being changed left, right and center all the time. Mm. And I was really like, actually, you know what? I'm very tempted to bend the rules here and just catch up with some, some family that I haven't seen for a while or some friends or whatever. Um, and it really took my wife who is a medical professional to say, look, no, we can't do this. I probably would have, if it wasn't there, but then actually not long after, um, when I was taking a little bit more stock of the news and the severity of the rising cases of coronavirus, um, I just thought, oh yeah, this is quite serious. I do need to take this seriously. And, and I just sort of kind of revoked my feelings from the previous week. Um, so it's quite a, a mental change, you know what I mean? And my perception of why we're doing what we're doing, which was quite quick and rapid. And I've actually maintained that perspective. That's why I've changed my mind on the fact that it isn't a terrible thing to, to have to sit tight. Well, it isn't, it is a terrible thing, but actually there's more justification for it. So that's my, my, but I know that's quite controversial and there's all sorts of questions about, you know, human rights and how much we allow the government to control what we do. And some people kick off from that a lot more than others. And I totally appreciate that. That's just a very personal reaction to something I started to change my thinking about. Um, so, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Toby. If you ask you with, um, before the, the kind of change of the rules at Christmas, cause it did feel very much, we're not going to change kind of the rules or the restrictions and then out of no, well not out of nowhere, but very quickly things change. Um, how, what were your thoughts on the lockdown up to the point they changed the rules? Um, well, I guess we weren't in a lockdown in December, were we? We had the, didn't we have the, or didn't we have the lockdown through November? I think. That's a good point. I think I'm, my, my gauge on lockdown has been broken by the fact that we were in Manchester which has had oh, additional okay. restrictions and now we're yeah. in Wales. So um, yeah, that makes sense. It feels like a continuation. I mean, when the, when the second lockdown came in November, I was annoyed quite frankly, like pretty annoyed, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I understood the logic behind it. Um, but I think then in December, you know, rules were being changed like every other day. It felt like, I know that's an exaggeration, but um, so that's what really fueled me in that week. And then I sort of changed quite significantly how I viewed the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't um, know. What- I think we, I think the thing is we don't act, yeah, go on. Sorry. No, I was just going to ask what, what partic- uh, apart from apart from the words of your wife, what particularly persuaded you that uh, it was? Um, to- uh, 
so just 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 actually coming to terms with I, I i knew that the coronavirus was on the up like we'd got to that point of second peak i hadn't quite realized how much i hadn't quite realized um i mean i obviously have to trust what i what i hear i i'm, I'm not a scientist myself or a statistician or whatever but just taking on board the figures and the data that was showing how rapidly the coronavirus was being spread and this sort of mutated you know um virus that was that 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 transmits just far more easily and actually you know watching frontline workers nurses doctors and things on on news interviews and stuff where they were just saying how horrific and difficult it is and i was like actually you know wherever we are we get caught up in our own sort of normal don't we and i live like you know in the cotswolds in a market town and actually we get caught up in our very normal but people are having very different experiences people are far worse off just sort of changed my perspective really so mm. yeah Nice. I appreciate it's not a straightforward one, but there you go. So yeah, yeah. so you decided the so decided the severity balances out with the uh, with the impact of the restrictions. I think so. I mean, you know, I'm bored and it is annoying and it is quite depressing, but um, just hoping that the vaccines and the lockdown together, actually, you know, this might be a last stretch where there is a bit more light at the end of the tunnel. We can really start to plan some more fun things in the months ahead. So yeah, let's yeah. Um, let's stick on this topic. I think. Um, because obviously in your line of work, Toby, um, these restrictions have affected that heavily. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has Would you say there have been any positives? Should start with that question. Would you say there have been any positives to your line of work in the church and the uh, this last year? Oh, that is a good question. That's a nice broad question. I'll try not to ramble on too much about it. I think it has been a really weird one of seeing, and I think this is almost, this sums up this coronavirus experience of some utter terrible things. It's ruined people's lives, but it's also simultaneously given opportunity to reawaken um, some of the things that are really important in life and take seriously the needs of people which were there before the pandemic and will continue to be there after the pandemic as well. And for the church, it's given us, it's been challenging, obviously, because, you know, when people think about church, you think about being with other people on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And we've had, we've, we have been able to do some of that during the pandemic, but we've had to, we've been in a church, you know, out of church for months, back in for a bit, back out again. It's been here, there and everywhere. So that's been difficult, but we've had lots of opportunities um, particularly where I am, we've had lots of opportunities to serve the community. So we've been able to, um, we've had a, an amazing um, coordination of volunteers taking loads of food out and things like that. So we've just celebrated delivering 30,000 meals over wow. this last pandemic in our one market town for those wow. that need it, which is amazing. And it brings a whole new way of, um, um, a whole new like channels of connections really with, with the local community for the church and to show that we really care um as well and we've even had people kind of engaging with our online material our online services and podcasts and things like that from you know beyond where we are um, mm -hmm. nationally even a little bit internationally and we've actually seen some church growth on the numbers um as wow. well which has been um amazing so there are there have been great opportunities but we have to hold that intention with the fact that mm -hmm. you know things have been super difficult for people and we've had to come to terms with the reality of the the kind of devastation as much as the opportunities so in a nutshell yeah been loads of other ways but um it's good did you did yeah. you have much of an online presence before um not really no barely i think probably like lots of churches well not all ch churches but we we were sort of uploading our sermons onto our website so people could catch up on sermons if they wanted mm. to but you know the pandemic saw the creation of a youtube channel it mm. saw the creation of a podcast channel because at one point before we went audio we were just we were doing a, an audio only type podcast um as well it saw um using a lot more social media which were bit by bit growing as well loads of stuff that we'd never really taken so seriously before is there and is there to stay so yeah no it wasn't right. but now we've got a, a great online a much more of an online presence yeah great that's that's um that's exciting because and that's really topical i'm just thinking because i know this kind of bleeds into talking about stuff that's happening and the news but um this week um i think just yesterday i think it was about half of the church of england services that would ordinarily be running were, were not as in as mm. as uh, at least being run as in-person um services so that's quite exciting to hear that for you at least um where you are there's been a yeah, a silver lining to the cloud that is COVID. So that is good. Yeah, yeah, on the whole. Um, go on. Um, yeah. I was going to say, so obviously currently the restrictions are very strict across the country, 
but strangely enough, places of worship are able to, under the guidelines, um, welcome people to their buildings if they can do so in a COVID-secure way. Um, mm. Do you have any thoughts about, firstly, the fact that that exists, that that's the guidance? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a really interesting one. I think basically... I think this comes out of the fact that Christmas, I don't know if it was sort of October, November time, but, um, you know, key faith leaders, so sort of uh, Catholic Bishop, our um, Church of England Archbishop, um, Justin Welby, um, Jewish faith leaders, is, um, Muslim faith leaders were writing into the government to say, you know, actually, it's really important that we can meet because, you know, this is at the heart of people's faith. Um, you know, people's faith and spirituality underlies kind of their whole I suppose existence in many ways and therefore affects mental well-being and and all the rest of it and as well as the fact that lots of faith communities as I've already alluded to in my context are actually doing a great deal for the community as well and so I think the government actually took that on board and meant that we have been able to meet throughout um, you know tier four restrictions and all that sort of thing into the lockdown but now we're in a position where we're, we're in a very unique position where we're probably the only people that can actually host indoor large gatherings legally if done so, you know, with a risk assessment, socially distanced, which which is interesting. And in many ways, it's caused a lot of controversy in the church because yeah. there are people finding very strong arguments to say, yes, we must continue to meet for X, Y, and Z. And then there are other extreme um, people saying that's ridiculous, that's totally unsafe, um, particularly people that I know that work as church ministers and say part-time for the NHS, you know, and have a two-job kind of thing and are coming from that perspective and then there's sort of people more in the middle that thinking oh i don't know what to do i want to be sensible but i'm in a real conundrum about what what decisions we make so it's been a really interesting one to to, mm. to think about on that yeah definitely mm. it does and i think it, it's almost like a little micro discussion of the whole idea of lockdown isn't it in that mm. you've got we know we know how to to stay safe now we know how to run things in a safe way um yet we're not we're not allowed to at the moment so you're back into that situation where you've got individual church leaders having to th th decide and weigh up what what they put the the value or the importance on i guess mm -hmm. uh, what have you decided yeah, to do I with the church so we so we we had to have this discussion sort of earlier on in the month and i think it's probably fair to say that at least myself and my um my colleague who is the sort of lead um, vicar, as it were. Um, we're kind of thinking, actually, if we can, we'll probably keep church going because we've, we've been doing that. We know how to do that safely. And it wasn't really till we started to really think about the implications of that and the serious rise in COVID cases. The fact that, you know, a lot of um, our elderly congregation will probably be shielding now. Um, there's implications on children's provision because, you know, you know, lots of schools are shutting and things. So we have to sort of be in line with that and think, is that safe? Same with the youth provision. Um, we knew that if we were going to meet, we'd have to be super strict on like, like no mingling, no conversation. And for us actually coming together as a church, it wasn't just turn up, do your ritual and leave again. It was have that shared experience with people, catch up, have a brief, you know, COVID safe chat with someone. And we would just have to say no to that. So it would look very different, probably quite cold and dry. And, uh, and so that alongside the fact that we were thinking, well, what does this actually look like to other people in the community? You know, we're, we've got local businesses, schools, other important institutions, which are all being told that they can't do what they probably would like to do and suffering for it. And what does it look like for us who have been serving the community in so many ways through mm. food packages and things like that to actually say, well, no, we're just going to carry on meeting. And you know, we, we, were, we, we were able to host about 80 adults plus kids before and that's a that's quite a large gathering i think people yeah. admit you know, we carry on trying to do that sort of thing what does that look like and i think it was partly a question it was weighing up the importance of what it means to have the christian faith and to meet and worship together alongside what does it mean to sort of stand in solidarity with the rest of our community and even the wider the country and say actually we really do care about this we really do care about protecting people the nhs and ultimately we do want to come back together safely and the way to do that is also to have a short-term lockdown so does that give you an idea of some of the sort of things we were thinking yeah. about and and, yeah. and we did therefore decide by the way not to not to meet for the time being yeah yeah i found that that um i think that spectrum you kind of drew up is very fair um you know in terms of some people feeling they want to do a lot more um as a church without kind of the not not the the concern that's wrong with putting it but without the kind of um adherence to the amount 
restrictions lockdown. I know some people feel, you know, that the restrictions and all the rest of it is, is too strong. And then on the other side, I, I'm aware of people who feel the church should be virtual only for those reasons. Um, uh, sorry, for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, but it's interesting because one of the kind of main arguments I have here, either side of that discussion usually is how the church's actions is perceived by the community. So on the one hand, the church is kind of like willingness in, in some ways to kind of just be given directives. And this, I think this is especially the case potentially in the first um, period of restrictions, like the church kind of closed. We didn't really know a great deal, I guess, about the virus itself, but um, I've heard kind of arguments surrounding, is the church basically just being given directives by the government and following them, regardless of kind of how that impacts on people's worship? Um, and then on the other side of the coin, the church has a real responsibility to be seen following the same line the community is following for the sake of showing love to other people. Um, and it's an interesting one. I think at the moment I'm veering more like I'll just nail my colours to the mast on it. And, and this isn't at all in terms of kind of um, being judgmental of kind of what decisions other people have made. But um, I've struggled quite a bit with the, the lack of singing when we've met as a church body. And um, I've kind of felt if we're not going to sing and everything else that we're kind of doing can be done through a computer screen, I'm really struggling with a lot of the purpose of meeting up. Because as you mentioned, Toby, such a big part of it is speaking with people and meeting with people. And I have kind of struggled with how easily I, you know, it seems that we've gone, okay, well, we won't sing. Um, even though we're following social distancing guidelines and we're in masks. I mean, if those restrictions and those pieces of guidance are helpful in stopping the spread of the virus. Like I, I'm really struggling to understand it, but I think it's one thing and I'm glad that's, I'm glad you've shared what you have Toby, because I feel there, there is a scope for kind of discussing biblically, how do we apply the coronavirus restrictions given to us by the government in a church setting um, and kind of discuss openly, how should we follow what the government is advising us to do as a church to show love to the people around us. It's a messy question. Mm. And I think I've, I've come across people with, you know, to think theologically, as it were, trying to find, um, and from the Bible, justifying what, what, what we choose to do or not, don't choose to do. And people on that extreme end say, no, we must meet and sort of throwing all these kind of scripture references to talk about the importance of being together physically, worshipping one body, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and sort of saying, basically almost saying that if we follow the, the, the guide, if we, if we choose not to do that, we're almost compromising on the heart of our faith for the sake of what the government are kind of, and everybody else is, is wanting to do. And I actually think, I mean, you could go backwards and forwards on that, but ultimately, obviously we, everybody does want to be back together and we know that we're not going to be, you know, restricted forever. And we're trying to join in with a cause. And as you say, show love and witness goodness to those people around us for the sake of being able to come back together more long-term. And truth be told, I don't know if I can completely nail my master, my master, the flag, my, because I know that every context is very different and what people can do in their church buildings mm. and, and the, the different demographics that people have in their churches is all very different. So I'm not one to, to judge, but I think wherever you come at it from, there needs to be some shared respect for, for why and for why not. I think mm. the extreme ends, like with many things, it becomes political, doesn't it? And that's um, what we're all about. That's what we're all about. Taking both yeah. sides. Yeah, and trying to find a healthy dialogue. And I've seen loads of that yeah. recently on church discussion forum groups and one on Facebook and things like that. And it's really interesting. And we need to love one another in those disagreements as well, even as church leaders, because we all should have the same heart to, to, to be a, you know, a healthy, loving community within our wider community. So, so mm -hmm. yeah, so it's all very interesting. Yeah. It's Great, much easier yeah. to talk about it, not being a church leader. Like I find that's one of the, <laughs> it's very easy for me to kind of say, oh, yeah. you know, we should be singing, we should be doing this. Or for other people to go, the church shouldn't open and kind yeah. of don't have to negotiate. I, I mean, I, I haven't had any hard kind of direct criticism yet from people. I mean, there always will be a few people that hate the fact that we're not meeting, but on the whole, I think people respect it where we are and are happy to carry on. And we're doing some brilliant kind of Zoom kids provision and our online services are pretty decent on the whole, you know, and people are actually super appreciative of that. I think the fact that we are being able to do things and meet people's needs. So, you know, it's the intention, isn't it as well, as much as anything. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, interestingly, um, I do. I have, this is a question. So I'm throwing it out there, guys. Do get in touch if you go and answer. I'm asking about the um, singing and how that decision was made about not singing. Um, 
I've struggled to find kind of evidence to to back it up. And then also you can sing in a choir in a COVID secure way. If you're paid to sing, you're like, we were allowed to sing in a choir at one point, but you still weren't allowed to worship things. And then after the Queen's speech um, on Christmas Day, we saw the, the, I can't remember which choir it was, it's some NHS choir, I think, who were in a room all together singing. And I'm um, sat there thinking, no masks. No they're, they're distanced, but no masks and they're singing. That's a good question, Ben. Is it That's safe, is it safe or not? Like, it either is or it isn't. Well, I mean, it, yeah, it's a difficult one. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, somewhere, at some point, someone decided through experimenting that obviously if you sing, X amount of more droplets could spread. I think that was the yep. base of it. I don't know what the more up-to-date research on that was. I never saw anything beyond that initial thing. Um, certainly in churches, you can have a couple of people or maybe you know a small band or a couple of people up front behind yeah. you know perspex screens distance yeah. themselves singing and um and that's okay and um, we don't have a choir but i know what you mean it, it it does seem to vary a lot and it's sort of reducing the quantity of droplets coming out one's mouth but to yeah. how far does that have to go yeah. i don't know but when do we have to yeah. stop breathing that's the question when you have to stop breathing. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, people in churches, even with masks on, you know, let's say that we're probably talking melodically, I think, anyway, um, <laughs> whether they should or not. It's very difficult for people to just sit there and listen to songs they know and not hum in, you know, so. <laughs> uh, great. Well, um... I'll bring this up. Speaking of stuff... Um, obviously our restrictions are due for a review in like four weeks or something and by that time it's half term which um, we've got with the government have restarted the discussion again about uh, free school meals um, remembering, okay. remembering, remembering of course that school meals aren't free um, of course referring to the fount, of, uh, the fount of all knowledge which is Premier League footballer Marcus Rashford who we do need to make sure. Very dismissive there, Ben. I would just, I just, we do need to make sure that we talk to Premier League footballers about government policy because they know what's going on in the real world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've sounded, I have sounded very dismissive there, Dean. I am actually, I think Marcus Rashford's done a great job and has raised an excellent awareness and loads of money has been raised through charity to support um, families who are struggling uh, at this time. I do question why Boris is ringing him and telling him about the decisions that the government are making. I thought that was weird. I thought, I mean, that, yeah, the calling of the calling of the Premier League football because it's one of those things. I can't remember. I, I forget what I spoke about three minutes ago, but it's one of those things. <laughs> you obviously want to. Everybody is going to use their platform to a certain extent to try and influence things how they want them to be influenced. So you can't begrudge Marcus that, but I did find it very weird that the prime minister of the country called centre forward for Manchester United <laughs> to tell him that he's done a U-turn on his own policies. I thought, oh, for goodness sake, but I didn't know it was back in the news. Yeah, February half is term. That for, is that for February half term? Yeah. I mean, we said this back a while ago, uh, Phil, that we would, um, that it, we, it's going to be really difficult to stop at any point because it's going to be within lockdown and then it's then it's going to be uh, recovering from lockdown um, and that's going to go on for a while. So it's going to be quite difficult. Um, to do that. Yeah, the it's um, government programmes usually grow, don't they? But um, I did see this week... Temporary, though, do It's temporary. It's, well, well, in terms of news, stuff that's going on, um, I did see that Dominic Raab, um, is he the Foreign Secretary, was saying that the increase to universal credit is temporary and that they are kind of envisaging back down now that would be one of the only examples i can think of where they've introduced kind of an increase in benefit and then scaled it back down i mean we will see it's not necessarily you know it, it's difficult to say on any particular benefit or kind of support system whether it's needs increasing or not without kind of looking at it properly but yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see what marcus gets up to next mm. What particular benefits were they? Uh, just general, just all benefits or... Universal credit. So universal credit... It's all in one, isn't it now? It has been for some yeah. time. So yeah. universal credit, I can't remember when they introduced it, but the idea was that you would roll all of your kind of um, income 
benefits, I guess, into one mm, payment. That's right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thinking was, if you also then got a job alongside that, it wouldn't, you shouldn't really be penalised in a sense for getting a job. So if you went and got work and you were receiving benefits, you wouldn't lose all of your benefits and then struggle to make ends meet just because you've gone and got yourself a job for however many hours a week. That was the thinking. So they increased the universal credit payment. I think it was last, it was during the first lockdown, I think, to £20 a week. So um, we'll see. see. It's weird though, isn't it? Because you think if people like have had it increased because of COVID and just this general understanding that the need is greater... Um, when you come out of COVID and you're still reliant on benefits, you still, you know, it's not like the food prices are going to suddenly drop, is it? I mean, people on benefits need money because that's why they're on benefits. It does seem a bit strange and a bit of a, a mind mess, really, for people <laughs> to be dishing more money, less money when they just need the money, like regardless of, anyway. Yeah. That's another no, conversation. I don't know. No, exactly. I think that's really fair because I think especially at the moment, if if this is going to sound well i'll just you don't need to preface everything if whilst people are kind of locked in their house with if you're receiving kind of a, a regular income through benefits and then kind of the country gets locked down and you're at home i, I would argue that there's less need to kind of increase the benefit at that point than there is either side of the lockdown like when things are kind of um when you kind of maybe are a little bit more, I, w- I would say probably more stable financially, especially with free school meals being provided. It seems to me that if free school meals are provided through the holiday and your income is the same as it was outside of lockdown, I, I can't see the argument for increasing that within that period of time, but I don't know the details. I'm not, I'm not privy to the info. So. And it is really difficult. And I think to like, um, not try to revert back to completely early conversation, but when I think about how many meals that we as a church have provided for people, we know that there is generally more need. Realistically, there probably are those people there that have the need before and will continue to have the need regardless who may be on benefits or not. Do you know what I mean? Who's mm-hmm situation hasn't changed that much but the problem is if you take it's difficult because if you take that blanket approach then you miss out all the underlying more complex mm. you know nuances that go on there and the difference in people's life situations maybe someone did have a bit of a part-time job on the side and then they don't and you just yeah. don't know do you so you yeah. know and you could seriously make people really vulnerable if you just take that kind of blanket approach but mm. i do see your point in that it's, it's a very difficult one it's just such a complex situation isn't it and yeah. you know everyone's story and that's why it's really difficult for a oh sorry no 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 but all i was gonna say is it, it really is because i think part of the difficulty with with this particular situation is it's people who would be dependent on their income through work who are really vulnerable at the moment because they've just had it taken from them despite the furlough scheme so if you kind of worked and you pay you fed your children through working in the pub for instance the government have basically removed that from you so you and your children are going to be extremely vulnerable um, in a different way to people who may receive their income in a bit more of in a more steady stream i guess sorry ben i didn't mean to cut you off no i just i was building what toby said about that nuance because actually i think that's why churches and uh, local charities are so good at being able to provide for those needs because they know the area they know the needs better than a government in london can know so actually these blanket regulations and rules that the government make nationwide are really difficult to have that positive and necessary effect needed. And actually, I think that's why there's a real place for churches and, and local charities to do what they've done and step up to provide um, in a more efficient way. And it is an interesting question, that because we, I think the church will always want to be a place which really cares for the needy. Um, you know, it's a biblical biblical imperative as part of what it means to be a Christian community to do that. Um, There is a bigger question though, isn't there, about how much the church is doing what the government should be doing at every given time and how much of this sort of provision should be purely charitable, should be purely from faith communities or whether the, do you know what I mean? And whether, or whether we are in many, in parts of that compensating from a lack of of government support and it's, you know, we're never going to just step back completely ever and say, come on, government, sort yourself out. And like you say, we do know the local area. We do know the needs better. We build connections and relationships. But it's there's a question there, isn't it? Because if you tip too much side one point, then government just pulls back any sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we're a community. We need to pull together as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Not an easy answer. Great. I think that's... Uh... That in and of itself is a massive discussion, isn't it? Kind of the government, what the government should be doing and kind of what mm. charities and churches and voluntary organisations should be doing and providing. It's probably a discussion in and of itself, especially with yourself, potentially, Toby, 
in the context of kind of the Bible and, uh, you know, God's community and, and the church kind of um, trying to understand those mm. different uh, institutions and ideas. Yeah, big, big and, it, and, and I would say, actually, just on that, you know, from our in our context. So the way that we've been funding 30,000 meals and that uh, and all the rest of it has been because we we have sold our vision to philanthropists and to quite wealthy people basically and trust to say look this is what we're doing in this time of need this is part of our bigger vision beyond covid to be a, a community point we've actually got a, a building that we bought um separately in addition to the church building to do all this sort of stuff and we've used it especially as a shell but it's not been redeveloped yet it will need to be but we've used it primarily to house freezers and fridges for all this sort of food and stuff and um you know we begin loads of money loads of money from you know secular people organizations wealthy donors philanthropists and and it's paid for loads and it mm. is amazing to see that actually that people there are people that are willing to give and to, to be able to resource this sort of thing because there's no way that we could with our turnover do anything like that with what we get from our giving from our parishioners because that would just that'd be crazy you know how much mm. it has to do that so there is stuff coming from different places and there are people, but you've got to find them and you've got to sell it to them. Haven't you? Yeah. So, um, there you are. Great. Very cool. Any other news? I, we could be a story that we briefly discussed last week, uh, which of course you'll know about Toby because you listen really carefully to every episode. Um, uh, I've been listening. Yeah, well, we briefly mentioned the story of Justin Thomas, the golfer, who just shouted a homophobic slur at his ball when it didn't do what he wanted it to do, and uh, he apologised, and we thought that was that. Um, but of course, how naive we were, um, because he has since been dropped by one of his sponsors, by Ralph Lauren, and uh, in their statement they said he's been dropped. Um, they were disheartened by the language used, and it is entirely inconsistent with our values and therefore they do not want any further association with him um i just wondered what if, if that's a, i think that's a good example of kind of the danger we have today in the way that we deal with things we don't like maybe well i mean do we agree that using a homophobic off the cuff comment slur. Um, I don't actually know what he said specifically. What did he say? So this was this was what was interesting last week. Was why we brought it up is we couldn't find out the word he'd said. None of the articles. Yeah, I mean I've been looking it. at it just now and I can't find anything. So, but the point is, let's say he said a word that is mean and derogatory towards people of a certain sexual preference, um, sexual identity. Hmm. Um, we can agree that that might be wrong. Or are we saying, are we going to the extreme to say, is there some scope that he should have been able to say that just out of his frustration instead of using a swear word or something? What, where are we up to with that? I feel we're suggesting there could be some scope for saying something to a ball that doesn't warrant a reaction of of being let go by sponsors because of a, a of a mistake that he apologized for and said he didn't he it was awful when he does it just want to do it again yeah. i think there's two things going on there there's one to say is it morally acceptable that you can be annoyed and use a particular word against mm-hmm. a ball but which is offensive to a group of people which i think is questionable um because you're still using it in a derogatory term and it is a term that is normally used to offend people so i can i can appreciate the moral implications there the other question is, though, as you say, what do you do when you've been given an apology and someone has accepted what, that they've done something wrong? And I think mm-hmm. there is a big question in the media and in society about labelling someone and having no grace to ever move on from the fact that someone did something silly or made a mistake. And, yeah. and you never want to drop that, um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Which is, I think, a shame because, you know, how else do you get through life if you can't you know, be forgiven for a mistake? But... Yeah, it's it's an interesting one that because, I mean, if you look at it kind of pure, very coldly, kind of economically for Ralph Lauren, what I can't and maybe this says what what was the guy's name? Justin Thomas. What was the Justin Thomas? Like for them, you know the it it, it makes a lot more sense kind of economically for their own brand to cut people out who are you know potentially making say immoral or kind of angry comments um, than keeping them on. Like, you know, that would probably 
be in, in their interest going forward. And that's not necessarily a bad thing um, in and of itself, if that's how they're making their decisions. But um, it just depends kind of, it's hard because I think you, you put it well there, Toby, you need to kind of be able to, if I was a sponsor and someone was saying things that I fundamentally disagreed with and I thought were immoral and wrong, mm. I wouldn't want them representing my company. And that doesn't necessarily mean there's no grace and that he shouldn't be forgiven or that he should be hounded forever for it. But people can make their own, and people should make their own decisions freely based on the actions of, of those around them. Um, you know, continuing someone, continuing to sponsor someone is a very different thing in than you know forgiving potentially people making comments and anger or frustration so yeah yeah i mean they i think it wasn't it the human rights campaign which is supposed to be the largest lbgtq advocacy group said that the best place to work for lgbtq equality was ralph loren or something like that and so as soon as they continue to be affiliated with someone that said something then they'll lose that and then well that's gone isn't it i suppose and and he will he will how he could probably have said sorry as many times as he wanted to but realistically, he's labelled as a as a homophobe or homophobe or whatever now, probably, and that's that. Yeah, it's tricky, and it is very difficult. And there is something to be said for what it, the difference between being in the public eye and being a celeb or a minor celeb, isn't there? And what you say and the impact that those words have. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You've got to be very careful as well. But yeah, not not easy. I'm glad we spoke about that. I think it's uh, not as absurd as I first thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Were you outraged? But were you, what did you initially think then, Ben, if you don't ask him? Were you kind of frustrated that he'd been dropped? I was frustrated. Or... I didn't obviously don't actually care that he's been dropped, but I was frustrated that something that seemed like it had happened and it had been done and dealt with was taken extra yeah. steps for to what seemed at the time like for no reason. Um, I think I think it's also just on his point, probably quite unfortunate because we all do as humans say words randomly that we never really meant to say or should have said. Probably, yeah. I can even honestly recall as a as a as a Church of England priest, um, you know, preaching and saying something, describing someone in a way that wasn't even in my script. And I listened back and I hadn't even realised I'd said it, <laughs> and it wasn't really on to say. Like it wasn't terrible, but you know, fortunately, it, you know, we're not spreading. You know, I'm, we're not. Um, broadcasting our sermons completely to the world and having loads of viewers so I couldn't be done for it but I did have to recognize that I'd said something I didn't even mean to say and yeah. you know I wouldn't class myself as a racist as a homophobe or any of those things you know but we do we do do those things and he was caught out I think on this case as well however much you might say look that's not me I'm sorry yeah. we're labeled um, it's the public eye isn't it so it's not, it's yeah, the, the next question is obviously on the tip of my tongue, but I can't, I won't, I won't. <laughs> you want to know what I said, don't you? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't oh, want no. to know. If <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it is funny, isn't it? Like, everybody does, but at the same time, your words matter and how you conduct yourself matters. And, the, you know, there will always be that difficulty. It's just, when do, you st when do we start slipping into a culture of every single time you say something wrong or that is now not acceptable but was previously acceptable, you can basically be cut out and lose kind of your income. And then also when you just have to take the consequences for saying things that you shouldn't be saying that are uncaring and unloving. Um, yeah, not easy. Mm. Yeah, and how do we decide these words that are really bad? Podcast. Well, it is, it is difficult in this case. It's totally abstract because we can't even find the word to even discuss can we unfortunately so makes it difficult to um to even make any judgment call but yeah yeah i think good ways to resolve it is uh podcasts where you just chat random yeah. nonsense yeah, for For a long time. yeah. i think that will solve it yeah. you're right but um, i mean we, uh, we're all at a similar age right i mean i can think of being at school and using um a term lots of people are using a term which is deemed offensive and derogatory to gay people uh and now i just don't think you'd get away with it at all and i'm talking you know 10 15 years difference there maybe only yeah. even 10 years you know the the landscape has changed significantly in a short amount of time i think in yeah. terms of what you can say or what was at one point deemed not very nice but now it's kind of like you know, red alert, you cannot say that you are a terrible human being for ever saying that sort of thing. So it's very difficult. It's tense. Yeah. yeah. Eggshells in many ways. Do you, yeah. Do you think at times, like, it, it is, I feel like that. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells a lot. But at the same time, maybe there's a good, it's a good indicator, really, 
to to a, a limited, you know, to an in the hearing about what we say so you don't upset people. I think that the worry is that the rules change so quickly and then the kind of the extent of the reaction is so strong that that's kind of where the eggshells come from. So it's not necessarily that, you know, because I, I know what you mean, like I think of words that, you know, people would use in school and um, you would not say them and people would not say them now. And that's a good thing that they're not saying those things. But I think it's more the reaction that will come from saying those things seems to have come in so hard and so fast that you feel nervous about saying anything yeah. for, um, yeah, for fear of yeah. it coming upon you. Yeah. And then it flips it on its head. You've gone so far one extreme end that no one can really express what they mean. And we will have to, the pendulum will have to start to swing the other way again. You know, it's often like that, isn't it? It's a bit of a pendulum going backwards and forwards, extreme to extreme. Yeah. And sometimes we find a nice sweet spot, but it doesn't always last that long. Anyway. Very true. Um, maybe that's a good place to i'm just thinking kind of uh think about you know the way things are going maybe that's a good place to potentially break with the news not that it's been too news focused and kind of think about what we would change so um toby something that you would change a law or something you'd make that you'd change oh gosh i don't think i prepped very well for a this so a social norm or a law that you would start a social off norm or a law that I would change. Oh gosh. Um, I don't know if this is a social thing. I don't know if I can say one thing that I would change, but I would want to really reconsider what, and it's a little bit back off the back of what we were just talking about actually, and putting that into some practice, what is deemed a hate crime and hate speech, hate speech, mm. I think because that does actually what we talked about does have legal implications and it's becoming very dubious as to what you can actually say that is legal or illegal now and i think that's really affecting people's freedom of speech you know and that's not to say that people can be um commended for saying whatever they want and that they they shouldn't be criticized for it but when you start you know enforcing it and saying this is now hate speech this is now a hate crime that's serious control over um a quite a lot of things and i think we would be surprised as to the kind of things these days that would be considered hate speech and what you can be actually what you can actually be done for so i i don't know if i can say i'd want to change that but i would i'd want to change aspects of that and really revisit it on a serious level i think definitely um yeah good one yeah that's that's a good one i think the general definite i mean I, I don't have in front of me generally the definition runs along speech that causes hatred or which kind of toes the line of offense which is a very yeah, very dubious mm. kind of proposition in lots of ways. So that's a good one, Toby. Good thinking. Yeah, nice, Tobes. See you later, mate. Thank you for joining us. Okay, great, guys. Got a dash. Thank you. It's been Thanks. lovely to chat about stuff, and I look forward to continuing to hear more about stuff in your future podcast. Keep it real. Bless you guys. Bye. Bye, Toby. Implement. It's not as profound. It's not as impressive, and it is almost certainly not as important. But one thing I would change, and I'd probably make it a law, mm. um, when you approach uh, a, like a crossroads or traffic light and um, <laughs> you're on red and there's nothing else around and um, you can see the green man or, you know, has just come on. Or, no, sorry, hang on, let me rephrase that. You can see the green person. <laughs> the green person on and... You can see across the other side of the road that a pedestrian has pushed the button and then walked before the light has turned red. I would, that's 50 pound on the spot fine. Like I'm going for it, right? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the government, of government interaction with people unnecessarily, but to me that is necessary. I'm sick to death of waiting at traffic lights for pedestrians who've already crossed the road to have crossed the road. So uh, yeah, that's one thing I would change. I think um, that would help my stress levels for sure. To say I'm laughing so much because you've been moaning about that for years. Yeah, well, it was only this week I thought, yeah, do you know what? I've never had a forum, Ben. I've never had a forum. Thought, you know what? Someone's going to ask me something I want to change. That. I want to change that. And this is what I want to do about it. How about you, Ben? This this week, this week I am jumping on Toby's bandwagon. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I'm going to agree with his. I think that's something that we could uh, define better. Um, so and it's worth discussion you... in our future podcasts about about the idea of hate crime um, mm. because we are very scared of being offended now I think particularly if we look at universities as, as places now that are kind of 
primarily to keep young people safe in a, in a, away from things they disagree with rather than a place to educate about different ideas. Um, that's going to, because it's in the universities now, you know, that years down the line, that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what tends to happen, isn't it? Yeah, they tend to be the canaries for free speech, don't they? In lots of ways. But um, the canaries down the mind. But so what I'm gathering from you, Ben, is you want to define, or get a better definition of hate speech so that it is harder for people to come for you when you come up with your bigoted nonsense, <laughs> you nasty man. I think, yeah, I think um, I'm a, well, yeah, at least we I, know. I was close to saying at one point that hate speech just doesn't exist which is not true but because i'm i'm in this kind of polarized place all the time i sometimes just jump on one side thinking i've got to be on a side but actually obviously you can you can say things that are hateful and that incite violence and hatred towards someone unnecessarily and yeah unjustly and i think i feel like that should be a really obvious when that is the case and if we're at a point where we're not sure what's what's hate speech, what's not, it probably is a kind of a warning light that it might be a little. We might have been taking it a little bit too far to what is hate speech. Do you see what I mean? I think I see what you mean, mate. I think it's interesting. Well, when you use terms, and I do, um, like sides, picking sides. Mm. You know, that's so much of the difficulty, isn't it? Like we have our different sides. We have our different kind of, um, yeah places where I guess people have their own all kind of projector and worldview from and then see people who have potentially different worldviews or different expressions of their worldviews at least uh, as being on a different side is not a healthy way to make positive changes. So I think mm. the way we term and phrase those things, especially in the context of hateful speech, because it's funny, isn't it? like you say, I struggle with the concept of hate speech, but I don't struggle with the concept of hateful speech. So <laughs> it's just mm. how do we uh, how do we kind of set the lines up, really, isn't it? Yeah. Fantastic. Right. Well, Ben, uh, I enjoyed that as always. Thank you very much. Sorry that Toby Thanks had to drop out there early, guys, but uh, very much enjoyed being with us. Sorry to sorry to our listeners, all all three of them. I reckon we might get right avid listeners. Uh, drop us a yeah get in touch let us know what you want the stuff you want us to talk about join us uh, next time when we'll be joined by another fantastic guest talking about all the stuff see you next time ciao for now what did you say I said all I, I was trying to oh, I right. said all the stuff I thought okay. if I say all, all, right. all the time right. let's do it let's do it okay where we talk about all the stuff all the time Yes. Enjoy that, guys. Bye. Bye.